0: And laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you and welcome to the show Now, if you're one of those people who love getting scared This is the show for you Inner Sanctum It's a popular old-time radio program that aired from January 7th of 1941 to October 5th of 1952. It was created by producer Hyman Brown and based on the mystery novels of Simon & Schuster. Now, the name licensed by that company on condition that at the end of each broadcast, the announcer would promote the latest book title published in the series. And the series featured stories of mystery, terror, and suspense, and its tongue-in-cheek introductions were in sharp contrast to shows like Suspense and The Whistler. The early 1940s programs opened with Raymond Edward Johnson introducing himself as your host, Raymond, in a mockingly sardonic voice. A spooky, melodramatic organ score played by Lou White punctuated his many morbid jokes and playful puns. And beginning in 1945, Lipton T. sponsored the series pairing first Raymond, then McGrath, with cheery commercial spokeswoman Mary Bennett, also known as the Tea Lady, whose blithesome pitches for Lipton tea contrasted sharply with the macabre themes of the stories. She primly chided the host for his trademark dark humor and creepy manner. Now, the program's familiar and famed audio trademark was the eerie Creaking Door, which opened and closed the broadcasts. Iman Brown got the idea from a door in the basement that he said squeaked like hell. The door sound was actually made by a rusty desk chair. The program did originally intend to use the door, but on this first try, the door didn't squeak. So undaunted, Brown grabbed a nearby chair, sat on it, and turned, causing a hair-raising squeak. That chair was used from then on as the sound prop. On at least one occasion... A staffer innocently repaired and oiled the chair, thus forcing the sound man to mimic the squeak orally. <laughs> well, let's go to tonight's presentation with the title No Coffin for the Dead.
2: Lipton Tea and Lipton Soup present Inner Sanctum Mysteries. <laughs> Good evening, fiends. (laughs) I mean, friends of the inner sanctum. This is Raymond, your host, inviting you through the squeaking door. Don't hesitate. Come right in. Oh, it's a bit dark. Careful, don't brush up against that skeleton.
1: Oh, he's
2: quite harmless, I assure you. He's only the skeleton in our closet come out for a bit of air.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The idea of a skeleton coming out for air. Such nonsense.
2: Oh, you mean because it's already so well ventilated? (gasps) Oh, how do you do, Mary Bennet?
3: Hello, Mr. Raymond. Mm. Now, you tell me truthfully. Is there a family skeleton in your closet? Oh,
2: yes, indeed. And what's more, we make no bones about it. (laughs) But I'd uh, like to really get him out of the closet. I need space to store my Lipton's noodle soup.
3: What a silly thing to say. Hmm? You know very well that Lipton's noodle soup comes in a tidy little package that takes up hardly any room at all. Oh. In fact is, Lipton's is convenient all the way around. It takes hardly any time to make, costs less, and makes lots more than canned soups. And when it comes to flavor, nothing can beat Lipton's. It's a grand, homemade-tasting noodle soup with a a chickeny flavor. And, folks, Lipton's is just swimming with tender golden egg noodles. It's like I always say, you just don't know how good noodle soup can be till you've tried Lipton's.
2: And like I always say, tonight put a tight hat on your head so your hair won't rise and get ready to listen to No Coffin of the Dead. It's an original story by Emil Tepperman. And our star tonight is that famous radio actor, Les Tremaine, who plays the part of Tom Archer. Along the swanky East River Drive, all is quiet, except for the footsteps of two men who hurry toward one of the many tall apartment houses. Let me introduce you quickly to these two men before uh, death strikes out at them. The man on the outside, the tall, blonde man, is district attorney, Tom Archer. The other one, the lean, dark-haired fellow. It's Tom Archer's assistant, John Frayne. Tom's really worried about something.
4: I'll walk you to the door of your house, John. I, I don't like your being out alone this late at night. Whoever's been sending you those threatening letters isn't just...
0: Jo- Look out,
4: John. That fellow in the alley with a knife. Drop ah, that ah, knife, you... Ah, ah. Ah. Oh, you... You've killed him. You've killed John Frey.
5: Don't... Keep back, you... I ah, want that knife. You don't... No! No, don't, don't, don't stab me. Yeah.
4: That the devil killed John Frame, Stabbed me. I'll remember his face if I, I ever see him
2: again. I'll remember. <laughs>
4: I began to regain consciousness after that attack. I was lying on the ground at the mouth of the little alley near John Frame's home. A fussy little ambulance intern had just finished working over me. There was a small crowd around me. And I glimpsed the face of Detective Inspector Lambert just behind the intern.
5: There. Feel better now, Mr. Archer? Uh.
4: How oh, is he, Doc?
5: How about got him fixed up, Inspector Lambert? I think it'll be all right. He's conscious now.
4: Can I talk to him?
5: Yeah, but better not move him for a few minutes till the shock wears off.
4: How are you, Mister Archer? Well, oh, pretty good. I feel like a mummy with all these bandages. Yeah. Both hands. What did they do? Jump you with knives? Oh, we. We were passing the alley, John and I. John. What happened to John Frame? Speak up, Inspector. What happened to John? Now, take it easy, Mr. Archer. John's dead. They got him in the back. Right through the heart. Oh, merciful heaven. John? Did you get a look at the killers, Mr. Archer? Could you identify them? Well, there... There, there was only one man. He, he, he came out of the alley. He stabbed John, and then he swung at me. I, I didn't have time to go for my gun, so I, I caught the blade in my bare hands, and he ripped the knife away and stabbed at me I, I don't know
5: how many times. Six stab wounds, Mr. Archer. You're darn lucky none of them hit a vital spot. Yeah. That was a brave thing, grabbing the knife with your bare hands. Probably saved your life.
4: That's the mistake the killer made, leaving me alive. I've seen his face. I'll catch up with him if it takes the rest of my life. I was a a bit shaky on my feet when Inspector Lambert and the intern helped me up. But I insisted on going over to where the body of John Frayne lay, covered with a white sheet. And then I saw Susan leaning against the great comforting bulk of old Mrs. Hogan, her housekeeper. She was looking down at the shroud that covered her husband's body.
6: It was God's will, Mrs.
4: Frayne. Susan.
7: Oh, Tom. Tom, I can't believe it. John.
4: Be be brave, Susan. John's dead. Nothing I can say will replace him.
8: Have you any idea who the murderer is?
4: I, I saw his face for a moment, that's all. But I'll recognize it again, I'm sure. Mr. Archer, here's something we found in the alley. What is it, Inspector? Looks like the charm off a watch fob. It's broken off. A charm. Well, <gasps> you recognize it, Mrs. Brain?
6: Oh, yeah. oh no! No, it can't be. It can't be.
4: No, no, of course not, Susan. There are hundreds of watch charms like this one. What is it, Mrs. Brain?
6: The that watch charm is my
8: younger brother Peter. Where's one just like it?
4: Oh. Oh, nonsense, Lambert. You can buy those in any jewelry store. Besides, I saw the killer's face. It wasn't Pete. Mrs. Hogan.
6: Yes, Mr. Archer?
4: Please take Mrs. Frayne upstairs now.
6: That I'll do. Come along, darling.
4: I'll see you later, Susan.
6: Oh, please stay here, Tom. You're hurt. All
3: those wounds.
4: I'll be okay. Right now, I'm going to go downtown with Inspector Lambert and look at pictures while that murderer's face is fresh in my mind. At headquarters, I looked through hundreds of pictures in the rogues' gallery. It was just two hours before I came upon the photograph. Lambert, this is our man. You're sure? Positive. I'll never forget that face. Turn it over. Let's see the name, quick. Right. Art Hogan. Good heavens. Bart Hogan? That would be the son of old Mrs. Hogan, the Frayne housekeeper. Lambert and I both remembered the case of Bart Hogan. It went back five years before John Flaine had married Susan. Bart Hogan had lived with his mother, both working for Susan's father. One day, Bart Hogan had snatched up a kitchen knife and attacked Susan's father with mad fury. Only John's lucky arrival had saved the old man. John subdued Bard Hogan. The mad youngster had been committed to the state asylum for life. But he had escaped seven months ago. Nobody had heard from him since then. Until tonight. Rick Scott. So that murderous kid has come back after all these years. To get his revenge. I'm going back to the Frayne house. I, I want to talk to Mrs. Hogan. You think you might know where our son can be found? Who knows? I'll talk to her anyway. Uh... By the way, Mr. Archer... Yes? While you're up there, suppose you just kind of check on whether Brother Pete has lost his watch charm. The frames occupied a top-floor duplex in the riverfront apartment house. I took the elevator up, and Mrs. Hogan admitted me.
6: I'll take your hat and coat, Mr. Archer. Thank you.
4: Thank you. Mrs. Hogan, where's your son, Bart?
6: Bart? Oh, why'd you ask after Bart?
4: Have you seen or heard from him since he escaped from the state asylum?
6: What What makes you ask that?
4: Mrs. Hogan, that there's reason to believe that the person who attacked us in the alley is your son, Bart.
6: Oh, no, no. Never say that, Mr. Archer.
4: I'm afraid it's true.
6: No, it, it, it couldn't be. I swear to you, it couldn't be Bart. Why not? I I can't tell you why. But it wasn't Bart, I'm sure.
4: What makes you so sure? You know where he's been hiding since his escape? You know where he is now?
6: Oh, heaven help
4: me. If you know where he is, you must give him up.
6: <laughs> but he didn't do it. He didn't.
4: Believe me, Mrs. Hogan. I understand how you feel. But it'd be far better for Bart to go back to the state asylum than to be hunted for this new crime. If he didn't do it. <laughs>
6: Mr. Archer, if if I prove to you that Bart couldn't have done it, would you let him be? Not make him go back to the asylum?
5: Well, I, I don't know what to
4: say. You see, I was downtown just now, and I recognized the picture of the man who attacked us. It turned out to be your son. There's very little chance that I was mistaken.
6: But if I prove he couldn't have done it...
4: How can you prove it?
6: Well, <clears throat> I'll show you.
4: Her usually ruddy face was drained of blood as she led me up the stairs to the upper floor of the duplex and then along the hall to her room.
6: I always keep the door locked. Go inside, please.
4: Oh, I... I don't see anything in this room, Mrs. Hogan. Well,
6: over here, please, at the, the closet.
5: Uh-huh. Is that you, Ma?
6: Is that you? It's all right, Bart during I, I brought a good friend. Good heavens.
4: You've been hiding him here in this closet?
6: For seven months now. When he escaped from the asylum, he came here. I cleared out the closet. It just holds the cot. He lies in there night and day. Where's he, Ma? why would you bring him? What's he want? Don't be afraid, Bart. Mr. Archer won't hurt you. He wants to ask you some questions.
4: Bart, have you been out of this room tonight?
6: Mm -hmm. Out? Me? Not a chance. He tells the truth, Mr. Archer. Here, I'll pull the blanket back and show you the proof. There. Look at his legs. He was shot in both legs when he escaped from the asylum. I couldn't get medical attention for him, and the wounds never healed properly. I see. You must believe me now, Mr. Archer. Why, couldn't be one who attacked you? Because, well, he'll never be able to walk as long as he lives. <laughs>
2: Well, now, if Bart Hogan didn't do it, and mind you, I said if, then who did kill poor John Frayne? Well, whoever killed him must have been a rather cheerful person because he uh, took life so cheerfully. (laughs)
3: Cheerful, indeed. Mr. Raymond, you've always had such gruesome thoughts on your mind, you wouldn't recognize something cheerful if you met right up with it. Oh,
2: now, Mary, aren't you being a bit unfair?
3: No, I'm not. You just don't know what folks like. But you listen to me, because I'm going to make a suggestion that'll please everyone. All right. Folks, if you want to give the boys overseas a real taste of home, Why not send them a package or two of Lipton's Noodle Soup? It's so easy to do. You don't even need a request slip. You know, a bowl of hot soup makes a mighty good snack for the boys. And when they receive Lipton's Noodle Soup mix, they're getting that old-fashioned kind of chickeny-tasting noodle soup. So send a package or two of Lipton's to your favorite serviceman.
2: That's a terrific suggestion. And uh, here's another thing that pleases me. There seems to be plenty of murder ahead in tonight's story. Uh, You remember that pretty little girl, Susan? Well, looks like she's next on the murderer's list. How about that, Tom? Come on. Tell us more. And don't spare the gore.
4: When I entered the living room on the lower floor, a few minutes later, Susan and Peter were there with Arnold Matson, the lawyer.
5: I tell you, this is a serious problem, Susan, and we've got to find an answer to it. But there
6: is no answer, Mr. Matson. Oh, oh, Tom! Thank heaven you've come at last.
5: Hello, Susan. Hello, Peter. Hi.
6: You know, Mr. Matson, of course. Yeah, of
5: yeah. course. Uh, I understand, Mr. Archer, that you narrowly escaped the same fate as poor John.
4: Well, uh, I was lucky. Those bandages must be a nuisance. I can stand them. Bandages are better than a shroud. Uh, By the way, Peter, that uh, looks like a new watch charm you're wearing. What, this? Oh, I lost the other one someplace, so I bought a new one. What of it? Oh, nothing. Nothing.
5: Now, Miss Matson, when I
4: came in, you were saying something about a, a
5: serious problem. Exactly. As you know, Susan's father left an estate of a million and a quarter dollars in a trust fund to be paid to Susan on her 23rd birthday. Yes, yes, I know. And she'll be 23 next month. But uh, there's a proviso in the will, Mr. Archer. In order to receive the inheritance, Susan must be married and living with her husband on that date. Please, Mr. Matson, I... I don't want to talk about the money. Yes, but don't you see? you lose it all. Will distinctly says that you must be living with your husband. If not, then the money goes to eight charities, except for $50,000 to Peter.
3: I don't care. I don't care what happens to the money.
6: Without John, it doesn't matter.
5: Well, Well, Peter, it'll be a break for you. What do you mean by that, Master? Well, oh, there's no need to become enraged, Peter. I only pointed. Oh, out. you
9: filthy rat. I'll show you, hey, you. go. Don't go. All right,
5: all right. Take your hands oh. off me. Why are you all looking at me like that?
10: look you know, as if you You thought I killed John. Well, say it.
5: Why'd you say what you think?
4: Better cool off a little, Pete. This is no time for a scene.
5: Yeah? For that matter, Tom Archie, what about you? You'd like to marry Susan yourself, wouldn't you? Why, you rotten little... you better cool off a little, Tom. This is no time for a scene.
4: No, I'm sorry. Yes, Peter, you're right. I would like to marry Susan. You know that, don't you? Yes,
6: Tom,
5: I know. Yeah. You two look at each other like a couple of puppies in love. I'm going to get a drink. The nuts to the 50,000. Right, George, I've got it. Got what, Mr. Matson? The solution, the solution to our problem.
3: What are you talking about?
5: That's it, don't you see, Susan? You can marry Tom Archer here, and then you'll be able to legally claim the estate on your birthday. Well, that's a pretty callous thing to suggest, Matson. Callous? I'm a lawyer. It's my duty to protect my client.
6: I... I couldn't do it.
5: Of course not.
4: Look here, Susan. Is there anyone else in the world who would benefit by John's death?
6: I, I don't know, I... I I can't think.
5: Oh, what's the difference? Are you still looking for clues, Archer? You know who the murderer is, young Bart Hogan. Why look further? Bart Hogan. Metson, how did you know about Bart Hogan?
4: What, what do you mean? Well, I've just come from Inspector Lambert's office. There there was nobody present when we
5: found Hogan's picture. How did you know about it? Well, it's really quite simple. I phoned headquarters a little while ago, and Inspector Lambert told me. Archer, Matson! What's that? Peter! Archer, come
4: quick, in the kitchen!
5: Come along, Matson, quick. Yes. You stay here, Susan.
4: All right, Pete, take it easy. We're coming. Down the hall, the kitchen. Get
5: hold of yourself. You... You open the door. I I can't. Look, go ahead, Archer, open it. Good heavens. It's... Mrs. Hogan.
4: She lay on the kitchen floor on her back, with blood all over her clothes. The blood came from a gaping knife wound in her throat, and the knife lay on the floor alongside her.
5: I found her that way.
4: Her, uh, her body's warm.
5: She was killed within the last 10 or 15 minutes. Then, then the killer's running loose somewhere in the house. Susan, she's alone. <gasps> Good heavens, there, on the floor. Susan, Susan, darling. Is she, is she dead?
4: No, 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 she's, she's only fainted, the shock.
7: Oh. Oh.
4: It's all right, Susan. Uh,
7: What
6: happened? Uh, Was it, was it Mrs. Hawkins?
5: Yes. Who? We don't know. But the killer's in the house. That madman is liable to kill us all, one at a time. I have a revolver. Let's search the house. Right. Matson, you go in the kitchen and stand guard over that knife. There may be fingerprints
4: on Very it. Very well. Peter, you stay here with Susan. Here's my gun. Don't be afraid to use now, it. wait.
5: Wait just a minute. What is it, Matson? Has it occurred to you the killer may be one of us? One of us? What are you looking at me for? You were out of this room for quite a while. Why,
7: you are a killer! Look out the gun!
5: I'll take the gun. <sighs> he was going to shoot me. I'm sorry.
4: I lost my head. Oh. Susan, I'm sorry you have to go through all this. Everybody's on edge. There's a killer loose in the house, and we've got to find him.
6: Yes, Tom. I know you'll do whatever's right.
4: I'll try. Uh, you too. You can both stay here with Susan. I'll search the house myself. Manson, call the police.
5: Yes, but how can you hold the gun with your hands all bandaged? Do you, you can't pull the trigger. I'll use it as a club.
4: All right, now. Don't move out of this room till I
5: return.
6: Be careful, Tom. You mustn't let anything happen to you, too.
4: I went slowly up the stairs to the upper floor ripping the gun by the barrel in my bandaged hand. At the end of the hall, I stopped before the door of Mrs. Hogan's room. I opened the door with the keys. Inside the room, the closet door was open. Bart Hogan was still lying on his cot. He must have been expecting me. His eyes were wild with terror. He had a long pencil clutched in his right hand, the only weapon he could find to use against me. His left fist was clutched into a tight ball. He watched me, stiff with fear, as I moved slowly toward him, across the room.
11: Keep away from me.
4: I had no time to waste on him. I swept beside the fist that clutched the pencil. Hell! and brought the revolver butt down hard on his forehead. I went over to the window, opened it. Then I, I went back to the bed and pulled the sheet, pulled it away, lifted him. His weak and withered legs dangled uselessly. I carried him over to the window, rested him against the sill. He opened his eyes. He was recovering from the blow. Uh, I didn't wait. I pushed hard. And he went toppling out of the window. Uh, I leaned over and saw the body strike against the tenth floor setback, then go hurtling into the air and smash down upon the pavement, far below. There wasn't enough of him left to perform an autopsy on. They'd never know his legs had been no good, that he hadn't been able to walk. Everything would be easy sailing from here on. Susan would marry me to save the estate, a million and a quarter dollars been clever enough. When I called out that fake warning at the mouth of the alley, I myself stabbed John in the back. Then I sliced myself up. They had taken my story at face value, Lambert and the others. I'd guessed that Mrs. Hogan was hiding Bart, but just as a precaution, I'd stolen Peter's watch chain and dropped it at the scene of the crime, in case I should need another suspect. But when I found Bart couldn't walk, it became necessary to kill Mrs. Hogan, too, for she was the only one who could tell the police that Bart hadn't been able to walk. All I had to do now was go down and say I'd found Bart, we had fought, and he had fallen from the window. The perfect crime. I took one more last look down into the street, where a crowd had gathered around Bart's body. I was able to make out the figure of Inspector Lambert... bending over what was left of him. And I saw Lambert force something out of the clenched left fist of the dead body. In a flash, I remembered that feeble little pencil... with which Bart had tried to defend himself. I pulled in my head from the window and glanced across to the closet. I saw it at once. A small, white scratch pad. I rushed across the room and snatched up the pad. There on the topmost page were the indentations of what Bart Hogan had written on the page and then had torn off. I could read it clearly. I could almost imagine his terrified voicing of the frightened appeal as he wrote it.
5: Archer was here. He means to kill me. He wants them to think I killed John Frame. But I can't walk. I've got two bullets in my legs. For God's sake,
4: save me. Bart had written that note, meaning to throw it out the window. But I had come back too soon for him. And I had thrown it out of the window for him. I went back to the window and looked down. I saw Lambert peering up. Then he turned away and hurried toward the entrance of the building. He's coming for me. There's only one thing for me to do now. I've locked the door. It'll take time to break it down. In the meantime, I've taken the bandage off my right hand. I'm writing a full account of tonight's work. I gambled for a fortune, and I lost.
2: sir. He seemed like such a nice young man. Well, his trouble was he tried to commit the perfect crime without first practicing up on minor crimes. He should have started by stealing watermelons and then maybe tried his hand at robbing mail trains.
3: Mr. Raymond, what are you suggesting? And just when I was getting ready to tell people to send a bowl of soup to the boys overseas.
2: Mm Hmm? Wouldn't the soup get cold by the time it arrived?
3: Oh, of course not. Why Lipton's noodle soup mix comes in a flat package. Mm. You simply send it along to your favorite soldier, mm. and he'll be pleased by your little gift because this noodle soup is just like a, well, just like a taste of home. So, enclose a package or two of Lipton's the next time you write to him.
2: Oh gosh, I'm sorry you have to go so soon. But drop in again next Tuesday for another little blood fest. You know, some people have to commit murders to get a kick out of life. Others get their satisfaction from listening to inner sanctum. But uh, word of advice. If you've got to commit a murder, please don't get yourself caught. Cause if you do, you'll surely get a free ride with the only person never bothered by backseat drivers. I mean that they're hearse drivers. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, this month's Intersector mystery novel is A Time to Die by Hilda Lawrence. Now I guess it's time to close that squeaking door until next week when Lipton tea and Lipton soup bring you another inner sanctum mystery directed by Hyman Brown. So until then, good night. Pleasant dreams. Of... <laughs>
3: And don't forget to tune in again next Tuesday night to Inner Sanctum.
4: This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
1: Stay tuned for A Day in the Life of Dennis Day, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for that Irish tenor to make an appearance. Dennis Day is on his way with a song and a story. A story about a tax refund.
9: Ladies and gentlemen, Colgate Dental Cream presents The Dennis Day Show, written by Frank Galen, with Sharon Douglas, Paula Winslow, Dink Trout, John Brown, Charles Danton, the orchestra, yours truly, Vern Smith, and starring our popular young singer in A Day in the Life of Dennis Day.
0: Twice a day and before every date, use Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth.
9: Here's Dennis to sing My Pretty Girl. My pretty girl, my pretty girl, I'm always dreaming
12: of you. My pretty girl, my pretty girl, my darling, how I love you. Promise me you will never leave me Promise me you will never grieve me Promise me you will not deceive me Oh, my pretty girl, please give me just one kiss One sweet kiss you won't miss For your kiss brings such bliss to my lonely heart My pretty girl, my pretty girl, I'm always dreaming of you My pretty girl, my pretty girl, my darling, how I love you Promise me, you will never leave me. Promise me, you will never grieve me. Promise me, you will not deceive me. Oh, my pretty girl. Okay now,
11: grab your partner.
13: Oh, lead him up
12: center and around
13: outside and down on your corner. Oh swing, oh swing, that pretty little girl to promenade the one that's left behind you.
12: Me through the night, let my arms hold you tight, and with dawn's early light, let me take you home. My pretty girl, my pretty girl, I'm always dreaming of you. My pretty girl, my pretty girl, my darling, I love you. Promise me you will never leave me. Promise me you will never grieve me. Promise me you will not deceive me. Oh, my pretty girl.
9: As you know, our young hero Dennis Day works behind the soda fountain of Willoughby's Drugstore in the little community of Weaverville. Now, you'll say it's hardly likely that a small-town soda jerk's name should become a byword in our nation's capital at Washington, D.C. Well, likely or not, that's exactly what's happened. In Washington's National Income Tax Bureau, an excited clerk has just discovered that a perverse fate chose to single out our hero from among the millions. Great Scott, Charlie, look at this. What's the
10: matter? Some guy named Dennis Day sent us $10 to pay his income tax. Only he figured it wrong, and we found we had to refund him some money. How much? $10. Well, what about it? Well, just look at this voucher man. The check-printing machine went crazy. We sent him a check for $100,000. What are we going to do about it, Charlie?
5: Ah, forget it.
7: (laughs)
10: Forget it. Charlie, the Democrats aren't here anymore. (laughs) I'm taking the next plane to Weaverville.
9: But at the Anderson Boarding House in Weaverville, it's quite apparent that the envelope containing the $100,000 check is not yet in the hands of its young addressee, for we find the most discouraged Dennis talking to his girlfriend, Mildred Anderson.
13: A flop, that's what I am, Mildred. A complete failure.
8: Oh, now, Dennis, don't talk like that.
13: But it's true. Here I am, 22 years old and making only $8 a week.
8: Well, you have a roof over your head and three good meals a day.
13: There's more to life than just food and shelter, Mildred. There are other things I'd like to have, too, like shoes.
8: <laughs> <laughs> well, Dennis, maybe if you'd ask Mr. Willoughby for a raise... But I you... did,
13: just the other day. I said to him, Mr. Willoughby, why don't you be fair? Pay me what I'm worth.
8: And he refused?
13: Yeah, he said no one could live on less than $8 a week. (laughs) (laughs) It's no use, Mildred. I'm going to leave Weaverville. That's all.
8: Oh, now, don't say that, Dennis. I know what your whole trouble is. You just don't inspire confidence in people. You... Well, you look so young.
13: Gosh, that isn't my fault, Mildred. It could happen to anybody 22 years old.
8: (laughs) Oh, I know it's not your fault, but we ought to do something about it. Let's think a minute. How can we age you? Age me? Yes. What makes a man look older? Do you know what makes my father look older, for instance?
13: Sure, but I'm not married to her.
8: (laughs) Silly. But if you looked older like my father... Good morning, Mildred. Good morning, young man. Morning, Mother.
13: Morning, Mrs. Anderson.
8: Mother Dennis was just telling me how discouraged he is. He wants to leave Weaverville.
13: Yeah, for good. Never come back.
8: That's the way to talk, my boy. Go to it. He'll do no such thing. We've decided the only reason he isn't a success is because he looks so young. I
14: have brought in the male (laughs) pupsy. Morning, children. Good morning, Mr. Anderson. I'll take those letters, Herbert. Yes, lover girl. (laughs) Oh, here's one for you, Dennis. It's from the Income Tax Bureau in Washington, D.C. Gosh, I hope I'm not in some kind of trouble. Well, come along, Herbert. We have housework to do. Yes, I know. Lead the way, light of my life. Dolly.
13: <laughs> I better open this letter and see what it is. Oh, I should say so. Mr. Dennis Day, dear sir, enclosed please find check in the amount of $10 covering refund on overpaid income tax. Boy, that's a relief. I thought I was going to go to jail.
8: Oh, well, is the check in it?
13: Yeah, it's down at the bottom of the envelope.
8: There, you see? Just when everything looks darkest, along comes the government and sends you a $10 tax refund.
13: I know, but it's nothing I can depend on every week. <laughs> well, I'd better deposit this at the bank on my way to work. I'll see you tonight, Mildred, huh?
8: All right, Dennis. Oh, oh, here, give Daddy these glasses on your way out. He left them on the table before when we... oh, Dennis! Huh? My father's glasses, don't you see? Those glasses with a black silk ribbon. Why, they put 20 years on you. But, Mildred, 20... Oh, Dennis, they're just what we've been looking for. Try them on. Well, okay. There, how do I...
13: Mildred, where are you? Come back!
7: I haven't moved an inch. It's the
8: glasses. Oh, but, Dennis, you have no idea how distinguished they make you look. Can't you see yourself in that mirror on the wall?
13: I can't even see the wall.
8: (laughs) Never mind. Just keep them on when you go down to the bank. Oh, you'll see what a difference it makes in the way people treat you.
13: Gosh, I hope so. Am I pointed in the direction of the bank? Uh Uh-huh. Good. Give me a push.
9: (laughs) And so off our hero went, completely unaware that in his pocket was a check on the United States Treasury for $100,000. Entering the bank, he removed his glasses so he could find the deposit window, then put them back on, took his check out of the envelope, and presented it to the teller. I'd like to deposit this check, please. Where's your deposit slip? Oh, do you need one of those?
10: What I have to go through with these jerks. (laughs) All right, give me the check. Pay to the order of Dennis Day. Yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yay, yeah, yeah. This is your check, sir? Yeah, is there anything wrong with it? Oh, no, sir. No, Your Honor, Your Worship, sir. <laughs> Gee, for a minute I didn't think these glasses were going to work. I'm stepping over to our president's office, sir. I'm sure Mr. Courtney would like to take care of you personally. Really? Oh, yes, sir. Naturally, if he'd known you were coming, he'd have called a special meeting of the board of directors. Boy, what glasses! (laughs) Will you wait just a moment? I'll tell (laughs) Mr. Courtney you're here. Mr. Courtney, there's a very important depositor outside, a Mr. Dennis Day. Dennis Day? Never heard of him. What's he look like?
5: An eccentric millionaire. He's wearing pince nez glasses on a black ribbon attached to his
7: sweatshirt. (laughs)
10: He he wants to
15: deposit this. Here, let me see it. Pay to the order of Dennis Day. Yip.
10: Well, don't, don't, don't stand there. Send him right in. Yes, sir. Right this way, Mr. Day This is Mr. Courtney, our president It's a
15: privilege to meet you, sir
10: Glad to meet you, Mr. Courtney No, 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 you're shaking the curtain
15: I'm over here (laughs) (laughs) Oh, pardon me Oh, do sit down, Mr. Day Can I offer you a clear Havana?
13: Oh, no, thanks, I'm not thirsty
15: (laughs) (laughs) Very good so you wish to deposit this check with us, eh? That's right. If I'm not too personal, how did you happen to get a government check of this size?
13: It's a refund on my income tax.
15: <laughs> Merciful heavens, I will you be making deposits of this amount often?
7: I
13: guess so. That's about what my weekly salary is. <laughs>
15: Uh, Will you be making withdrawals, too, Mr. Day?
13: Oh, yes, of course.
15: Well, be sure and let us know in time so we can bring up the bank's reserves from New York, eh?
13: Gee, this bank operates with very little cash, doesn't it?
15: (laughs) Oh, we'll grow, Mr. Day. Uh, By the way, what business are you in? Oh, I'm learning the drug business. Learning. (laughs) I'll bet you're cleaning up plenty for a beginner, eh, Mr.
13: Day? Oh, yes, sir, every morning. (laughs)
15: That's rich. Uh, you, you, you work in a big chain, I presume. Oh, no, sir. My boss trusts me.
7: Aye,
15: <laughs> George, you do have a sense of humor. <laughs> Say, I, I hope you won't think I'm too forward, Mr. Day, but, well, I have been thinking of taking a little flyer lately.
13: How do you like the market? Fine. The food is good, and it seems very clean. <laughs> Hmm. I'm sorry, Mr. Courtney, but I have to get back to the drugstore. I'm awfully late for
15: work. Oh, I quite understand, but would you do one favor for me? Take this along, read it in your spare time, and phone me and tell me what you think about it. What is it? It's a financial statement of the company I'm thinking of buying shares in, the Seattle-San Antonio-Montreal Railroad. Yes, sir, I'll be glad to. Oh, thank you, sir. I'm terribly grateful. I do want to make a success of my career... Just as you have.
13: Well, there's nothing hard about it. All you need is a pair of these glasses. (laughs) Gosh, I've never been so late to work. Mr. Willoughby's going to be furious. Oh, well, I guess I may as well go in and face him. I better put the glasses
10: back on. At least he can't hit me if I'm wearing them. Dennis, my boy, my dear, dear boy. Son! Gee, they even work on him. I'm sorry I'm so late, sir. You're talking to the Coca-Cola machine. I'm over here. Oh, excuse me. Oh, that's all right, son. I just had a phone call from my nephew. He's a teller over at the bank. Dennis, my boy, why didn't you tell me? Tell you? Of course. Dennis, I've known all along there was something in that head of yours. But it never occurred to me it might be a brain. A brain? Sure. And here you were all the time living like a poor boy. How did you ever do it? It wasn't so hard on my salary. Ah, we won't speak of salary anymore, Dennis. From now on, you're going to be my partner in this drugstore. I better get another pair of these glasses in case this pair breaks. (laughs) You see, son, I figure we can really fix this place up for about $5,000. And what's $5,000 to a man like you, huh? (laughs) The same as $500. Yeah, just about. But, Mr. Willoughby... Tut, tut, my boy. Consider yourself a full-fledged partner. Oh, there's a customer coming in. Take off your glasses and wait on him. Partner. You bet I will, partner. You just watch me. Now that I'm a partner, I'll sell him everything in the store. (laughs)
13: How do you do, sir? Can I serve you, sir?
14: Uh, yes. Uh, I just uh, I just weighed myself on your scale outside.
7: <laughs>
14: it's, uh, it's broken, and I'd like my penny back. <laughs> the scale isn't broken, sir. I say it is. It's got a sign on it that says your weight and your fortune for a penny. I got my weight, but the place where the fortune was supposed to be came out blank. That scale always works, sir. Maybe you've just got no future. Now, uh, look, uh, I'm not going to argue about it. If you want to get tough, I'll have a lawyer up here in ten minutes. Gosh, you'd go through all that just for a penny? It isn't the penny. Believe me, I've taken girls out and spent a hundred times that on them. (laughs) Yes, that I was dying to have my fortune told. Well, if you'll give me your palm, I'll be very happy to read it for you. That won't do. Now, do I get my penny or don't I? Well, I can't give it to you,
13: sir, but I'll take it up with the company that owns the scale. If you'll fill out this form, you should have your money within a few months.
14: <laughs> oh, that's ridiculous. I'm almost tempted to forget the whole thing. Yes, sir. I said almost.
13: <laughs> yes, sir. Could I have your name, please?
14: Uh, the name Benny. Benny, what? Uh, Jack. Jack Benny. And your address, sir? Care of F.E. Boone, Lexington, Kentucky.
13: Thank you, sir. I'll have them send you the money as quickly as possible.
14: See that you do. Or the next time I weigh myself, somebody else will get my business. Good day. Good day, sir.
13: Benny. Jack Benny. Gee, that name is awfully familiar. (laughs) No, it's no use. I can't seem to place him.
8: You mean Mr. Courtney actually asked for your advice?
13: Uh Uh-huh. And that isn't all. After I got back from the bank, Mr. Willoughby made me a partner in his drugstore.
8: Oh, golly! All this just from wearing Daddy's glasses. Uh
13: Uh-huh.
8: Oh, oh, put them on quick. Here comes Mother up the walk.
13: Okay, here it comes, the final test.
8: Dennis, my son! My own dear, sweet son!
13: Now I know they're foolproof.
8: Oh, Dennis, I've heard about you from just everyone downtown. I want you to know how proud and happy I am to have you boarding here.
13: Gee, thanks, Mrs. Anderson. Now, about that two weeks' rent I owe you. Oh, I...
8: Dennis, my son. Oh, here, let me take your coat.
13: Okay, but you'll be losing money on the deal.
8: <laughs> I mean to hang up. <laughs> hang up, the silly boy. <laughs> oh, Mildred, I'm so proud of him, aren't you? Oh, yes, Mother.
14: Dennis, my son. My dear, fine son.
8: Gosh, you
13: too, Mr. Anderson? These are your glasses.
8: Oh, Dennis, I feel like your mother as well as Mildred's. I, I wonder if you'd mind kissing me in a motherly sort of way.
13: Sure, Mrs. Anderson, I'd be glad to.
8: You kissed me, Dennis. Pupsie's over there. <laughs>
13: Oh, gosh. Pardon me, Mr. Anderson.
8: Well, now suppose we all go into the dining room and have... Oh, I wonder who that is.
13: I'll answer it.
11: Yes? How do you do? My name is Elliot. I'm a reporter on the Middletown News. My editor sent me over for an interview with a Mr. Dennis Day. Why, that's me. Good. Mr. Day, we understand you just received one of the largest income tax refunds ever given out.
13: I did? Gosh, the
11: government's pretty stingy, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, be that as it may, I'm here to get the story of America's leading drug tycoon. Just how did you get your start in life, Mr. Day?
13: Well, my father called the doctor in the middle of the night, and they rushed my... Not that far back!
11: <laughs> uh, we're only interested in your business career, Mr. Day. And by the way, why weren't we able to locate you in Dun & Bradstreet?
13: Well, that's easy, because I live at 4th & Elm.
11: This interview should make me famous in journalism. Do you mind if I ask you a few general questions, Mr. Day? Fire away. (laughs) Believe me, I'd love (laughs) to. What do you think of the high cost of living?
13: Oh, I intend to keep on doing it, no matter how high the cost gets.
7: (laughs)
11: Do you mind if I don't quote you on that? Not at all. Thank you. What have you to say on the subject of Russia? It gets very cold there. Just the stuff our readers want. Anything else on Russia? Well,
13: just that it's good that there is a Russia because there are so many Russians that if there weren't a Russia, where would they all go?
11: Excellent question. My editor also wants to know what you think of the Japanese situation. Personally, I think my editor has stones in his head, but here goes. What do you know about Japan? Well, Japan is smaller than Russia. Now we're getting somewhere.
13: And it's much warmer and has fewer Russians.
11: after scoop. (laughs) And now to return to the home front. For what reason, I can't imagine. (laughs) How do you feel about labor?
13: I think a person should, unless he's lazy.
11: (laughs) I put it down just as you said it. Well, that concludes one of the most amazing afternoons of my life. (laughs) Thank you, Mr. Day,
13: and goodbye. Goodbye, sir. Oh, uh, whereabouts in your newspaper will this interview appear? In our lost and found column. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. Who who was that, Dennis? Oh, some fellow from a newspaper. I've been interviewed.
8: Oh, Dennis, how wonderful. You'll be famous all over the country.
13: Gee, what do you know? I'll bet
10: that's the newsreels. Oh, I do hope so. Uh, Come in. Anybody named Dennis Day live here? Yes, sir, that's me. So you're the fella. I'm from Washington, Mr. Day. I'm sorry, but I do not choose to run. (laughs) I'm from the Income Tax Bureau. I'm here to correct a little mistake. Mistake? Yeah, that tax refund check we sent you for $100,000 was a little off. It should have been for 10 bucks. Oh, so
8: that's it. A mistake. I should have known. Wait a minute. I don't understand. We thought you were rich, you idiot. We thought you got an income tax refund of $100,000.
13: Oh, gosh, no. I don't pay that much income tax in two years.
8: (laughs) Dennis Day, you're an imbecile. If you...
13: Gosh, what traffic tonight. Come in. Dennis, my
15: boy, my wonderful boy. Wait, Mr.
13: Courtney, it's all a mistake.
15: Oh, I know that. I've seen the income tax man. But you saved me a fortune today. When you called at noon and said not to buy Seattle, San Antonio, and Montreal, I didn't. And this afternoon, it went down 12 points. Gosh. This hundred dollars is for you, Dennis. And thanks.
7: Oh, Dennis, my dear, sweet son.
15: Oh, I can't get over it. A young man with no financial experience, and he tells me not to touch that stock. How did you know?
13: Why, from that statement I read, Mr. Courtney. The statement? Sure. It said that their assets were $15 million and their liabilities were $15 million. Yes? Why, that darn railroad was just barely breaking even. <laughs>
9: story here's Dennis Day and Charles Vance's beautiful arrangement of the anniversary song
12: oh how we on the night.
9: Jack Benny every Sunday, and be sure to be with us again next week for another Dennis Day program. More songs, more adventures, and the life of our star, Dennis Day. Meanwhile, be sure to use Colgate cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. This is NBC, the national
5: broadcasting company.
1: Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nero Wolf, followed by Fibber McGee and Molly.